welcome back, cinephiles. This is Special Features, the podcast that provides you with movie trivia you didn't know you needed until you unintentionally find yourself at a bar on trivia night. I'll give you a hint. The answer is always Jack Nicholson. My guest for this episode needs no introduction, and we ended up talking for quite a while, so I'm not going to waste another second. Here's Creative Conversations with Doug Roy. Enjoy. Hey, that rhymes. Welcome, Doug. Hey. Hi, everybody. (laughs) They can't hear you right now. They'll hear you later. Or they are hearing you. It's kind of a paradox. They're listening not right now, but they will listen later. That's the interesting thing about podcasts is that we're doing this now, but we're going to listen to it in the future. But the future is now while you're listening to it. So what would you like to say to yourself three days from now? I don't like the sound of my own voice. It's fair. That's pretty much everything. That's fair. Yeah. I know. I, 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 <laughs> I know it's because I've heard myself to... on recording many times and, and I'm like, wow, I, my voice is really that deep I'll do my because best. I don't feel yeah, like my voice is that deep. It's difficult for like, me to cut these oh together. God, you're really deep. Your voice hearing, is yeah, hearing my own, hearing my own voice mm-hmm. when I'm putting this, like, ah, I hate mm-hmm. it. So um, I'm glad to have you here because uh, I think the reason I'm doing this podcast kind of stemmed from a conversation you and I had a few months ago about how we learn a lot from these special features type things. And, and uh, particularly you told me about um, some special features on, I think it was Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels. Yes. That you went, walk us through yes. that because um, that was kind of a cool thing that I So this is, I like. this is really cool. And of course, I know you know, uh, you've mentioned about Netflix and when you're streaming things, you can't get that special features part. And that was one of the things that, you know, listening to you say that, and I'm listening to the podcast, and I'm like, yeah, I agree. You know, it's like it's like the same thing that I went through. And case in point was Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. So um, my wife at the time, when, when we rented that from Blockbuster or whatever, wherever we got it from, uh, we put the DVD in, and then every time, you know, it comes up with the menu. And I always like to jump down and look at special features because you never know what you're going to find. Most of the time, it's a behind-the-scenes filming or, you know, uh, like photos or drawings of pre-production or whatever else. Okay, stuff that we can come back to. Just so happened that Lockstock is two smoking barrels. Uh, the, there was uh, a, a, something you could click on that gave you an entire glossary of everything that you're going to hear in the film. But it's not going to make any sense to you because you're an American. Right, like the British terminology. All the British terminology. Uh, this huge list that we, we, page after page, we had to scan down, and it made perfect sense. So we, we read every single one of us, and of course we're reading it in, in a, you know, a, this Cockney accent or whatever else, because it made it sound a little bit better, you know, kind of like the Bob's Your Uncle kind of thing or whatever else. I don't know what that means. Okay, well, then we read all the definitions of everything, and we're like, that was really cool. Like, that alone was worth uh, the rental. We watched the film, and all this stuff comes up, and we just kind of look at each other like, 
yeah, I know what that means. Right. And that's, <laughs> and that's really the cool thing about it because it changed how you watched the movie. Absolutely. And that's what special features always did for me when I'm watching because now that I know, I think the last special feature I really watched on a movie was for Avatar. And oh, yeah. it's hours of behind the scenes stuff, but like it can be a mixed bag when you mm. do special features because some of them just put them there to, to make the, the DVD more like give give you a reason to buy a dvd sure and it's not always you don't always get that out of it it's not mm. always something that's going to change the film like a lot of times it's a behind the scenes thing where it's just interviews with cast and crew and they say nice things about each other and they'll you know talk about how much they like the script and how much they like the movie yeah. and you know you don't it's it's, it's just cool. once i'd like to hear it's an actor cool. go well you know it was a shit film it was a, it was a shit <laughs> script but i was like i need the money so my agent was like yeah, yeah. just do it and yeah. shut up and you know the director was a real scumbag it's but whatever a lot of puffing each yeah, other nobody ever does that everybody's just, just like, like oh man he's the best person in the world yes mm-hmm. it was really an honor to work with this actor uh-huh. that you know no one's ever heard of and, and, and that's okay we listen to it Sure. Okay. We've done it. <laughs> I know. I know. Okay. It's all polished. That's great. But I still want to hear your reaction yeah. to a scene or your coworkers and everybody else. You know, like that kind of stuff is genuine. Yeah. You but it, it's, I think the stuff that I really always got the most out of were actually showing us how the film was made. Mm-hmm. and um, like different things in the technology. Like I, I often quote Robert Rodriguez's 10-minute film school where he actually shows how he does a shot and breaks down like the blocking of the shot and how he edits it and how he puts it together like a whole, this is mm-hmm. how I made this movie kind of mm-hmm. thing. And that's educational, and that's the thing that I think we get out of. And on Avatar, it was just this encyclopedia on inventing technology. Like they had to invent 3D cameras mm-hmm. in order to make this movie happen and the same with making the environment of this warehouse that had all these sensors around it and the the suits that they were wearing and the reference cameras that they had and and then after all that happens he has this you know virtual phone or or a tablet that he can just walk around and shoot the movie so they create this environment that is already 3d rendered so it was like real time it was almost like a virtual reality goggles that he had but it was in a like a mm-hmm. thing that he could right. move around. So he could, it was like a camera, but it was videotaping virtual reality. Mm-hmm. So the performance was always perfect. Like he never had to say, cut, let's try that again, because he already did that, all of that, when mm-hmm. they were acting it out. And then, so it's all rendered. He just has to figure out what angle he wants to shoot it at. So he can really just play around and you never have to worry about. It. So they show footage of him and it's the, the same like a studio where they, or soundstage that they shot everything at. Um, but, it's empty and it's dark and all it's just James Cameron walking around what was the set and he's looking in it from a virtual reality section and that's where everything was shot so he made the movie effectively three times Um, once for the environment once for the performance and once for actually shooting it and then there was all the the practical stuff that he shot with people in, in reality but you know that kind of thing I'm sitting there just my mind's mind blowing, you know, because I'm, I'm I have enough trouble running around with a camera and a, a like regular one time, yeah, yeah, like one thing, and then mm-hmm. here he is with just this inventing a new way of making movies. Mm-hmm. It's it's uh, it's all that kind of um, inspirational stuff. So it is interesting you bring up technology about that, and we've seen that from genre to genre and through the ages, from you know decade after de- decade. Uh, when you look back at some of my favorite films, like. Terminator, you know, 
um, which they still used stop motion, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. animation for that. It wasn't CGI at the time, so the, they had still on the cutting edge. Yeah. Though he still had to create three D technology. Like, unbelievable! Yeah, it's right. Unbelievable! And it's, and 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 the, and the actual um, prosthetics that they used, and the actual uh, the robots that they created, because they were real um, robots. Like they, at, at times. You know, they, they actually had the torso mm-hmm. and it's being operated by five, six guys so that everything is working. Um, one scene in that film when um, uh, Schwarzenegger, when the Terminator uh, is mending himself in the mirror and he has to take a scalpel or an exacto knife and he cuts Cut into his, his eye and opens yeah. up his eye and everything else, that was actually a prosthetic of not prosthetic, I should say, it was a mold of mm-hmm. Schwarzenegger. So that was that whole thing wasn't him, it was a robot. The whole time that he's, not the cutting part, but when he's looking in the mirror and he's turning and looking around, his eyes moving and everything else, that whole thing mm-hmm. was... Animatronic. Know, animatronic, rubber skin over right. skeleton kind of thing. Yeah. At the time, you would never pick that up. You'd see that in the, in the movie theater and... and you'd be blown away because, you know, you see the full robotic eye yeah. and you think, how did they do that on yeah. Schwarzenegger? I mean, that's like in there. Like, how, right. how do you do that? Yeah. It wasn't until later on a special features thing that I actually saw that whole making of and whatever it, yeah. else. It's like, oh, okay. Now, of course, you bring it up on DVD or Blu-ray, you can pick it out immediately. You can understand, you can see. Because right. it's, but yeah. At the time, it was just cutting edge. Yeah, you don't, you don't think of that. Now you know so much that special features or special effects exist. Mm-hmm. Now you can obviously see it a little clearly. They didn't just blow up half of Manhattan. Mm-hmm. You know, they 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 obviously did that on computers. But back then, you know, those kind of because everything had to be practical because CGI wasn't was still you know five six years away mm-hmm. um, when when Terminator came out. So. Um, it, you do have to kind of stop a little bit and be like, well, how how in the world did they just make that happen? And uh, it's just it's so important to know because that's what inspires you. Yes, to, to go and to figure not only figure out how they did it, but then right. want to recreate it. Um, so I, keeping on that theme, um, what were some of the other movies that kind of got you into not only? Just liking movies in general, but wanting to but wanting to, to make them to be in them. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean in them like you know, I want. I want to be the, the star. Yeah, what were the, the movies they no, were like? I want to I wanna be there. I want to yeah. be making this. I would say probably the number one is the Road Warrior. Okay. Um, I, you know, I, I I was the target audience for that film to date myself. Yeah, I that's I was the target target audience of that, and just absolutely fell in love with it. Uh, Everything about it. I just, yeah, it was kind of a cheesy movie. You know, you watch it and you're like, mm, this, is, this is a little cheesy, okay, but I'll run with it. It's Australian. We used to be able to, yeah, you know? we used to be able to appreciate cheesy movies. Right, exactly. Now yeah. they just get trashed. So it's, you know, you yeah. can see where they speed up the film to make the cars go faster and stuff like that. And all right, I get it, you know, and, 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 and they, 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 and after, in post, they dim everything to make it. A night shot, even though he was yeah. obviously shot during the day, you know, that kind of stuff. But who cares? That, that, that's not what I, why I was watching it. You know, at the time, I'm that young. I'm not looking for, um, you know, production faults or anything. And I'm certainly I've never been one of those 
uh, movie nerds that says, you know, oh, that could never happen because, you know, this and that. I hate Dude, that. Yeah. I know. Movies to me are entertainment. That's what they've always been about. Like, I want to be entertained, and which is one of the reasons that I like action movies and things like that, yeah. sci-fi and whatever, so much. I want to be entertained. And they're entertaining. And even though the film could just be really rock-solid stupid, I was still entertained. Eh, three stars, you know. Yeah. It entertained me. I didn't turn it off. So that's a good thing. I wasn't disgusted by it. Exactly. Yeah, my, my argument has always been, I live in the real world. Mm-hmm. I see it happen every single day. I don't go to a movie to watch something real. I go to do a movie to watch something that's not real. Right. And to take me out of reality for mm-hmm. a couple of hours. Yep. You know, so why would I want to see something that is plausible? I want to see something that's implausible. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to see laser swords and flying cars and all that kind of stuff. Like, I want to see traveling back in the future. Like, right. all those sorts of things. Because... That's something I can't live otherwise, you know? I was a child of the 80s. I was a teenager in the 80s, uh, went to college in the 80s, late 80s. So, you know, that whole 80s, um, I always called it the, the golden age of black belt, you know? And sure. Because all the uh, black belt TV was out there, and Chuck Norris, and Schwarzenegger, and, and, and Sylvester Stallone, and like, the list goes, Van Damme, the list goes on and on and on of all the action blowing away movies that were coming out. And a lot of those were the be all end all special effects. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, on the edge of CGI, but but not quite yet because computers were still kind of coming into their own at the time. So everything had to be practical effects. And I'm blown away by what they could do, but at the same time realized that the story still had to carry the movie. Mm-hmm. Back then it's like, okay, explosions and cars flipping over and and you know standing there with an m60 going ah while your belt runs out and all this fantastic but if the story isn't carrying the movie it would still be kind of boring and droll nowadays people still had expectations of there being a story correct even for a cheesy action film there still had to be a decent storyline nowadays with so much cgi some movies are just way more special effects dependent. Mm-hmm. You read the script, you know, you know, obviously you've probably seen the film, but if you just download a script or something and just read it, uh, they're kind of boring. You know, the, the lines are stupid and the innuendo is dumb and uh, it's kind of like, oh, this is going to be boring. How, how do we make this better? I know, let's CGI a whole bunch of aliens into it and just make it... The, you know, the aliens and the technology and everything, the best we possibly can do. Okay, well, now that's not really so much on the director anymore, is it? Or the writer or the actors. Now we're talking about a department that right. yeah. is out there somewhere or several departments in different areas around the world. They're the ones that are making the movie industry in, sorry, interesting. Well, I, I don't want that. I don't want to go see a film just because the special effects are cool. I mean, now we see we do see trailers and everything else. When they, like when Black Panther started showing their trailers, I was like, I have to be there day one because that looks spectacular. But it wasn't just the special effects because we keep we see them in every Marvel movie. I wanted to go because the story sounded really really interesting, and the actors are top notch, superb actors. So I was like, this is going to be great because now they're going to have. Fantastic directing, fantastic writing, fantastic actors, and all that CGI and everything else that goes into it, brilliant. Now we're going to get everything together, finally going to have a movie where everything rounds itself out. 
not, not going to be weighed too heavily on one thing or the next. I, uh, whenever I ask somebody how a movie was, like when they go see something before I do, which usually happens now because, you know, happens mm-hmm. when you have a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, I always, if somebody will, if I say, how, the movie, how was the movie? And they say, well, it was visually stunning. That is usually the when I know what it's going to be. Is it visually stunning because there was no story and and or there was mm-hmm. little story and it was really special effects driven or you know otherwise um, that it, that it was. And I, you know I'm not in the business of of crapping all over movies, but when somebody says something like that to me, at least it puts me in the right frame of mind mm-hmm. to go and see it so that I'm not um, expecting like if I know what to expect, then mm-hmm. it, it allows me to just enjoy the movie a little bit because the case in point would be Justice League um, you know it got a lot of poor reviews uh, Batman versus Superman got poor reviews all over the place and you know it's not that they were incorrect about a lot of the criticisms they had for it but at least when I went into Justice League I, I had the expectation that it's not going to have some of those things that I've come to expect from like a Marvel film or um, from other types of movies but now that I know that and I'm not expecting it, I can just go in and enjoy it. Right. And I, I described it to a friend of mine who I saw it before. He actually did. He asked how it was. And I said it was like a really long cut scene for a video game. Yeah. Right. You know, and, and yeah. I kind of felt like after the movie was over, I was like, all right, I'm grabbing my controller and mm-hmm. I'm ready to play. And and I was like, and that's not a bad thing. That's not a criticism. You know, that's just I if I can take it for that. You and know, it was thinking fun. back on it, because uh, I re- did you end up enjoying Justice League? Yes. But because of that frame of mind, I, I actually really enjoyed it, too. I'm always afraid of movies that get everybody together. Sure. Like okay, Infinity War just came out. We're all going to go see it. Hands down. But I'm always a little skeptical about sure. some of the Avengers movies. Like everybody has had their own film where they are leading the entire the whole the whole film's about them. Now all of a sudden you've got six eight people that have it's had a, their yeah. own movies and sometimes several of them. Now they're all getting together and you're like, well, there's no star. Like they're all the star. Ugh, how is this going to? How do you give all of them screen time? How, yeah, and, and and who gets the the top building? Who gets the credit? Like. <clears throat> When sometimes when you cast that many fantastic people in a movie, and you see on the marquee, it's like all oh, these famous people. It's gonna be a great film, and the film tanks. Why? Because nobody's the star. Right. Everybody's the star. Right. Yeah. So, so they're all somebody legal, has to so, drive the story. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It's a right. huge writing challenge, and not only oh, for God, that, but just imagine. for the level of anticipation yeah. for especially Infinity War, because this is the culmination of. 10 years mm-hmm. of Marvel films that take films oh hours and hours and hours. And, and, yeah. and you and I had the discussion that, you know, when, when you were, when I was a kid and you were a teenager or, or younger, the, the, mm-hmm. you know, Star Wars original trilogy was there and that was the big, you know, the Mecca of, of sci-fi. You could watch it in a day, mm-hmm. the whole thing. And yeah. I did several times, you know, there some, some was, <laughs> I would, I would just like for a week straight, I would just be like, Star Wars trilogy today, mm-hmm. and and just get done with it. You cannot do that with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's oh my just, god, no! It takes weeks mm-hmm. to sit through all these movies, and uh, that can be a good thing and a bad thing um, because just there's you know I'm looking forward to doing it with my son when he's old enough to pay attention, um, and that just gives me hours and hours and hours to to spend with him. But it 
it, it makes it hard for certain movies to stand on their own. And then when you have something like Infinity War, where mm-hmm. everything has to come together and it has to make sense of 15 different storylines, 15 like, different character arcs. That's a lot of things. You know, that's there's an, so much working together that... One of the number one things that people forget is that the canon of the storyline has to make sense. Right. You're bringing all these characters together. Continuity. Continuity, yeah. time frame. The, the, everything has to make sense. That is a writing nightmare. It's a tremendous, tremendous writing challenge. I, I give them a lot of credit mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. just attempting it, you know, going on this, you know, because they set, set it back with, with the first Iron Man. This is what we're going to do. And, mm-hmm. and we're going to get from here to here and X number of years and, and all these different moving parts. And it's mm-hmm. it's a huge, it was a huge undertaking. And I think they've done really well with it so far. Mm-hmm. Um, hard to, it's hard to find a, a weak link out of it, except for maybe a, a you know, movie here or there that was more of a uh, um, precursor to another film. I guess that would be the only criticism I would have for it is sometimes I felt like a movie was just a setup for the next movie and yeah. it doesn't really stand on its own super well. But I, I've enjoyed all of them. I, I can't say that I've, I've not enjoyed any of those movies. I have too. And you're absolutely right about <clears throat> the backstory. Um, my son, Max, is huge into Marvel. He's huge into a lot of things. Whenever he's like me, when, whenever we get into a topic, well, we go and we research it to the nth degree because it's just a, it's a quest for knowledge. It's like I have to know more about this because you know I have questions. Something doesn't make sense. Okay, I gotta know. And then we just you know hours and hours later, it's almost like we're a master at you know what's going on. Even though that's not really what we set out to do. It's just I want to know. Uh, and as Max explained to me about some of the um, the movies like Hulk, Thor, you know, some of the first movie of that franchise, the entire movie is the setup and backstory to this character. It's an origin kind or, of thing. It's an origin yeah. movie. Uh, and that's something that I have to kind of remind myself, oh yeah, that's right. Not everybody knows who Spider-Man is or Thor or whatever. I'm coming from a time period where I had the comics. I had a subscription sure. to uh, a line of comics called uh, Spidey and Friends. And that's what okay. it was. Every single comic that came out was Spider-Man and somebody else. He hooks up with another Marvel character for that comic, or there was a couple like uh, um, a Doctor Strange one that went to comics. So I'd read the first one and said, to be continued. Oh, no. Oh, that was hard. <laughs> I gotta wait oh, for the God. next issue. How long was it usually between issues? Uh, one month. <sighs> oh, nice. yeah. And I, I had that for years and years. And you know what actually got me started on that? Funny enough, I mean, I was always a comics fan. I, I bought comics. Uh, I was huge into Mad Magazine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to a, a little bit of a degree, Cracked Magazine. Uh, my sister is three years older than me. So she's in high school, obviously, three years before me. And they had to do these magazine sales things as fundraisers. So, of course, she comes home and she plops this catalog in front of me. She's like... Yo, you have to order something. She didn't say yo. We didn't say that back in the 80s. <laughs> it, it, it was, I don't know. Order something. Yeah. Yeah. Order something. Mom's going to pay for it anyway. So I don't care what you get. Just get something. And I was like, oh, I'm flipping through this thing. And there's Spidey in France. Spidey in France. Like, this Yay. is cool. And I was hooked. Yeah. Uh, I, oh, I, yeah. I think four, five, six years, something like that, I got those. I still have them all. And they're just amazing. 
because I got introduced to all these characters that I otherwise wouldn't Wouldn't really know. Um, Iron Man, uh, uh, yeah, Iron Man, right? Power, there was Power Man. Mm -hmm. Isn't there an Iron Man? Is there an Iron Man? Yeah, I think so. Okay, that's not what I was thinking. I'm sorry. Not <laughs> what am I thinking of? Who's the guy, who has the Netflix show? Iron Fist. Iron Fist. Yeah. And um, Luke Cage. Yeah. God, there's so many names. I actually have uh, a, a few books that are nothing but all the characters that have been created in the like Marvel a, universe. Like encyclopedia. And you flip through them, and it's like it—it's an encyclopedia, but mm-hmm. it's. Um, it's a little bit comical because they ran out of good names and ran out of good characters. So there's yeah. like things like Skate Boy. Skate Boy. What the hell is a Skate Boy? Okay. Yeah. Everybody it's a trying kid to train him. Who has had enough with, you know, crime in his neighborhood and he's really good at skateboarding. So he dons a, you know, a, like a ninja looking outfit and he has a skateboard. <laughs> And that's what he does is he skates around whoever and like the, whoops criminals with whoever a skateboard. the creative director like, that's was just really like, dumb. <laughs> I gotta come up with a new character and just looks around his office and sees a skateboard. Uh-huh. Skateboard oh, man. Yeah, I know. Skateboard man. <laughs> um, they're not all gems. They can't. No, no, they, they're not. And um, they don't always win. I mean, as far as like getting their own series. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, um, you mentioned Road Warrior. Yeah, and and after watching Road Warrior in the theaters. Uh, and I was actually too young because it was an R-rated film. Uh, I was too young to go in, but the theaters around here never cared. So my buddies and I just went. Seeing it in the theater and then getting hooked on that, seeing it again and again. Then, of course, when the when video came out and, and Blockbuster and all the other A to V and or A to Z, sorry, all the other video stores came out. Then all of a sudden I discovered, hey, that's not the first movie. I didn't realize that there was uh, one called Mad Max. Because people, uh, they they think that the Road Warrior was either the first one or they call that Mad Max. And and why shouldn't you? You say, oh, yeah, I really love Mad Max. You immediately think of Road Warrior. That was actually Mad Max, the Road Warrior. The first film was called Mad Max. And it was before the whole... Uh, apocalypse happened. Right. So, of course, what did I do? I rented that and I watched that and it was nowhere near what Road Warrior was, but the storyline, it was it was the origin story. It was the backstory of how Max got mad, you know? And, and it, <laughs> Max got mad. That's right. He was just a simple Before that, he was, person. he was happy Max, but now just a he's mad. You know? Data processor. <clears throat> Uh, hey man, if you haven't seen the movie, watch the movie and you'd be mad too by the end of it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure I would. And then, uh, you know, Road War, very popular because they, you know, it was all uh, written and filmed and edited and everything in Australia. So, of course, the original movie isn't going to come out, come over to the United States. It wasn't until Road War caught on and that came over to the U.S. and fit right in with the whole genre of dystopian sort of apocalyptic things. Uh, you know, we all remember like Escape from New York and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And something really bad happened and and half the world is crushed and one man, you know, we got to have that, oh, one man has to save yeah. her. You know, you got to have that. Yeah, the whole dystopia thing has, has become really popular now, so I guess that's right. what brought back the Mad Max franchise. Exactly. Like, oh, we were the original dystopia. Uh-huh. 
So I guess we gotta. It got really popular then in the late '80s. Then they came out with a third one, um, and uh, that was uh, Beyond Thunderdome. And I remember reading about it before the movie came out, or you know, while it was in production or something. And I thought, oh, Tina Turner, really? Have we sold out that much that we have to have Tina Turner? And I saw that the was movie. the thing back then. Oh yeah, to yeah. just put random celebrities, celebrities in, and, and what better than have somebody who is an icon who's had uh, several hit songs and everything? Like everybody knows who she is. She's got a great voice. She's got great music and everything else. So why not tie all this in together? We have MTV's at the height of popularity. So now we can create all these videos for the popular songs that go with the film, and it just it bolstered the whole thing. Yeah, I was the first person to say, "Wow, that's a sellout." But I was also the first person to buy a ticket and be there to watch it. And I was upset because it was very Hollywoodized and with the kids and everything else. I didn't like the direction it went and all that, but I still enjoyed the film because I'm not a person to poo-poo stuff just because they decided, just because they're, they're going mainstream with it. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to be like, yeah, well, now I'm not going to watch anything because they've sold out. You know what? I don't care. As long as I'm getting entertained, then yeah. hey, please put the product out because I love it. You know, you just yeah. keep putting, churning all this stuff out. I don't care how many stars you have. Um, and then it was, jeez, uh, what, twenty five years until they made the the second one. Yeah. But I've also been following that whole trail. I mean, George Miller was like, "I'm done." He he was done after the Road Warrior. Yeah. And the studio came to him. It was like, "You got to you got to put a third one. We got to ride the coattails, you know, Wild Strong." And he's just like, "No, I'm done. I'm moving on to other things." Okay, well, we'll give you this. We'll give you that. We'll give you a big budget. We'll give you Tina Turner. And oh, fine, I'll make it. <laughs> For the fourth edition, uh, one of the number one things that held that whole thing up was all the lawsuits, because there was. Other, there were other writers that were already writing the film. There were um, studios, I and I don't know who, uh, so I, I shouldn't say any names, because I'll probably get it wrong, that bought the rights to the film. And they're hiring- traded around. Yeah, and it got traded around, and they finally were like, oh, we're not gonna do this. And then they sold it to somebody else, and they sat on it, and then started writing. And uh, as far as I know, there were several scripts out there of the fourth edition of Mad Max. Mm-hmm. And they just, you know, it's gonna to cost too much to make it, we don't have the locations, just whatever. And to me, it was worth the 25 years. It was worth the wait. Sure. It really was. Yeah. Uh, but George Miller finally came back on board with it. Yeah, because- and, and, and took um, it under his wing. And, and Fury Road was another one of those movies but somebody described it to me as visually stunning. So I went into it with that expectation to be mm-hmm. like, all right, it's going to be a lot of cool stuff. And I'm watching the trailer where it's just like this tornado of fire and guys flying around on sticks and stuff yep, like that. Yep. that. And I'm just like, what is yeah, this? Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> you almost have to it's see it just, just because you're like, mm, okay, chaos. that's really weird. I yeah. didn't know what to make out of it because at first I don't know what it is. Like before they showed it was a Mad Max movie, I'm watching the trailer and it's just. And it's nothing but. Yeah rolling vehicles, exploding bodies, and uh, like you yeah. said, guys on sticks. That's like the most memorable thing. Is yeah. Guys, like guys on back sticks and, and on the dude with, and the, with a thousand amplifiers. Yes. And I'm just like, what is going on in this movie? And the trailer was Mad Max. What is that? like, oh, it's Mad Max. Like that makes a little more sense. Yeah, it makes a more sense. But I'm still like, what? So I had to watch the movie 
and and it was described as visually stunning and and that was you know the thing it was mm-hmm. and it was i'm not saying that it was wrong but i went in thinking like all right it's going to be car chases yep. and people on sticks and that's about it yeah but there was more of, and i watched them like more of a story here than than they mm-hmm. need the credit for not the most developed story ever but it was still and you could, you could pick up on a lot of pieces from it the characterization made the movie in the subtext and mm-hmm. i think that's what sold yeah. it for me um because you could read things into so the the mad max genre is really interesting because when you watch the films if you if you go back and you watch them from the beginning i actually it in all honesty it doesn't matter what order you watch them there's no continuity here. there really <laughs> isn't so yeah the first one is pre-apocalypse and the second one is post-apocalypse okay that's about as much continuity as you need. Sure. Okay. But the thing is, is that each movie is very episodic. Uh, it, there's a beginning, there's a middle, and there's an end. Mm-hmm. And Mad Max, sorry, I should call that, Max Rokotansky is in the thick of it. He's always in the middle of everything. Everything happens around him. However, you look at these films, he's not really the lead character. And that's what's really interesting right. about yeah. it. Yeah, that's what you told me about it yeah. a while ago, before I'd even really watched He's in it. almost every scene. He's almost always there, but he doesn't really talk much. He doesn't really do much. He's there, and all this stuff is happening around him. All the, the people around him, they all have the roles. It's almost like he's an observer, like a, an unwilling participant in, and in all of it. And that's where you are, because you... Mm-hmm. Well, me, anyway, I identified with Max Rokotansky, you know, growing up in the 80s and feeling kind of alone and depressed and whatever else, you know, and mad at the world kind of thing. That was me growing up in the 80s anyway, so I kind of went right along with this guy. But I realized that just like the movies and my life, I'm, I'm the observer and everything's happening around. And what do I do? I bend with it. And that's just what he does. He he reacts to the action. He there's a uh, there's a problem. He fixes the problem. There's an issue. He solves the issue. Like yeah. you know, people run around like, oh, we're dead, we're dead, and it's just like, oh my god, everybody, shut up. We're not dead. Yeah. This is what you got to do. He's kind of a reluctant hero in a sense because like he will kind of save the day, like he doesn't, mm-hmm. you know, and and fear it, but like not. Very reluctantly. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Not hey, for man, any particular reason. I was just like, on my way from point A to point B, and all this schmeckus happened in between. It's like, oh, here. She's pregnant, yeah. and I don't right. know what to do. I guess we'll take her back. Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, the guy absolutely. But then when we're done, can I go Like after that? You know, he, he, he was a cop. He was a father. He was a husband. He was an all-around good guy. Yeah. You know. And then he got mad because of the world. Mad. So the guy does have scruples, he does have morals, he does have a soul, even though Tom Hardy says like, I guess, eight lines in the entire film. Yeah. It's a lot of eyebrow. Still, yeah, a lot of eyebrow raising. And yeah, Matt, uh, Max, is he's still there. He's still a guy that's like, all right, you know, I, I don't really want everybody to die, so I'll turn this rig around and we're gonna yeah. save the world again. Then I, you know, then can you please leave me alone and I can go on to my stuff? Yeah. Um, and so when I explain that to people about it being episodic and, and everything, then a lot of people say to me, oh, I, I should go back and watch that because I never really thought about that. You, know, you always think of the film is about him and it's really not. It's about everything that he stumbles upon. 
and then it all plays out. Uh, and, I, and I've always really liked that. Um, when, when I finally found out about Fury Road coming out and, and then the date and everything else, uh, of course, I have to see it in the, in the 3D. You know, you got it. You have to. I wanted to see it in its full-blown glory because you have to. Oh, yeah. And I'm really glad I did uh, because there's a lot of stuff that George Miller filmed specifically because it was being filmed in 3D. Uh, those guys that we talk about that do that yeah, the stick thing. Where, do you feel like he did a lot of those things because he had 25 years of sitting on things, and in that time, the level of technology yes. that was able to be done with film, including 3D. Yes. He was just like, well, now I've got all these toys to play with, mm-hmm. and now I can do some of these things that I couldn't do 25 years ago. So you know what? Give me guys on sticks. Yeah. Give me a yeah. thousand amplifiers. Give me. <laughs> Sorry, the the scene that we keep talking about with the with the sticks, the guys floating over and you know across the screen, and everything. Uh, I always invite people to rewatch that scene if they can, specifically in 3D, if you can. But but even if you can't, it doesn't matter. You'll notice that. Uh, in most filmmaking and stuff, when something you're shooting something that's medium distance, you're focused on that medium distance yeah. because that is your focal point. Okay, that's that's the interest. In this case, it's the vehicle that they're driving, and then these guys come jetting across in these high stick bamboo swinging things with uh, Molotov cocktails in their hands and all that. If you watch it, you'll notice that they never come into focus. Mm. The vehicle is still on a fixed focus. It adds a lot of depth to the shot. Absolutely. Yeah. So you're far away distance, out of focus. The main vehicle in focus, and then these guys come shooting across, and of course your eye goes to them, and you're like, well, I'm blown away. In 3D, they pop right out of the screen. Mm-hmm. They're like going right in front of your face. It's really incredible. But they're, they're completely out of focus and blurry. And even though you're, you're watching them going across the screen, the truck, 20 yards out it's is still that's right it's still the focal point and he does that a lot in the film because he's like yeah I know all this is going on but it's still not about the stuff that's going on you're going to see it and you're going to see all the explosions or whatever else but I'm putting them out of focus because that is what you're supposed to be watching it's creating chaos within the shot because there's chaos in the story that's happening it's and it's very disturbing to, you're trying to take this rig mm-hmm. that is going from point A to point B there's not a lot to that. Like right. you could just have cars pulling up next to it, going the same speed like you do as as normal other kinds of car chases. But it's a it's supposed to be chaotic. You can hear it in the music, mm-hmm. in, in within the storyline. So it 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 does that. It's visually appealing, mm-hmm. but it's also creating. There's people flying all over the place. There's a guy with How flames coming out of his thing. So that you the color aspect that. is amazing because the, the the sand and the and the and the horizon and everything the whole landscape is just everywhere. yeah yeah there's like nothing to yeah. it it is literally don't look at me yeah don't don't look at me I'm there's nothing here to see yeah everything is focused on uh, the motion and the people and even with them that because of the, I'm called the dust, the dirt, the rust, the, the whatever, everything's kind of like that, the dismal flat color. Mm-hmm. But, you know, those guys are right before they're ready to, uh, what we would say is commit suicide, they're being a martyr. What do they do? They take that can of, of silver spray paint and they all but huff this spray paint and spray in their face. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh my gosh, something is glistening. Something is glossy. Something yeah. is like brand new. 
Whereas everything else about the entire film, the cinematography is, is just nothing but contrast, and that's mm-hmm. what I think really pops out of it. So you're having that, and you're just you're you're making the audience's heart rate go up because there's so much happening mm-hmm. that if you don't have any of that, you're just watching a truck go down the down the road, down the dirt yeah. road, yeah. and that you know you can call it Fury Road, but you have to make it Fury Road with all mm-hmm. of that happening in there. It's great direction, and it's it it's great yeah. concept of, of cinematography. There's no wonder that that. It, yeah, I don't remember the uh, the director of cinematography, um, John Seal. Yes. Yeah, John Seal. Um, yeah, I, it's it was it was very well done. So I guess we'll 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 wrap this up of telling me how seeing something like that, Road Warrior, and and on with all the. I do want to add. How did they, okay, go. Ahead. I want to add one more thing, and then you can ask me. And that is, is that uh, my oldest son, my first son, his name is Max. And knowing that this film was going to come out, I said to Max at some point, I said, hey, man, there's a series of movies. I don't know if you've seen them or not, the whole Mad Max uh, you know, series. And he's like, yeah, I know of it. I just haven't really watched them. So we would get together. And we watched the first one, and then we talk about it and whatever. There are actually times when we pause it, and I'm like, "Do, do, you, do you understand what's going on here?" And he's like, "Yeah, it's very but I'm a little weirded out." Like, with, you know, and I was like, "Okay, that's a good question. Like, just wait. That's good. You know, that kind of thing." Like, I wasn't being annoying, but at the same time, that's what Max and I do. We like to pick things apart. And so we we saw the first, the second, and the third, not in a row, just over time, so that we could so that he could take it all in and he could remember what's going on from one film to the next and we could talk about it. And then I finally said to him, hey, you know, this coming summer, the fourth movie is coming out, Fury Road. And he said, yeah, I saw the trailer. Like, it looks really, really interesting. I said, well, we're going. Like, I'm taking you and everything else. We get there, it was myself and Max and Christian, Max's best friend, sitting in the theater waiting, you know, we got our 3D glasses on for this movie. It's just about ready to start. And I tapped him on the arm and I said, yeah, I just want to let you know that the reason that your name Max is because of this film, because this series. I insisted with my wife that we were going to name you Max. However, she doesn't even know that. <laughs> because I told her, I just like the name Max. She had no idea. So his, his full name is Maxfield, uh, after uh, Maxfield Parish, a turn-of-the-century artist. And we just kind of left it at that. But the real underlying thing is that he's actually named after Max Rokitansky. Yeah. Yeah, it was the first time he ever heard that. It was the first time I ever told him. And he loved it. And I said, you're lucky that your middle name isn't Rokitansky. I was going to say, that would have been, uh-huh. been a little too much. And he sat there, and he turned to me, and he said... Actually, I would have really liked that because then I would have been name. Max Rock. And I'm like, <laughs> damn, I missed my opportunity. But then change. Stephanie would have never, she would never have gone for it. So, yeah, so there you go. So yeah, uh, <laughs> so Road Warrior, you know, you see all these movies, just this plethora of those style movies that were really big in the 80s. Yeah, the How did that translate to you actually trying to make your own types of movies or whatever um, part of that world that you want to be in? So I, I have always been a very, very visually visual person. Um, I don't read books. I, I have read books. Yes. I know how to read books. I just prefer not to. Um, you know me. I'm a very creative person. I'm very imaginative and everything else. So it's like when, when I'm reading, 
a book, let's say something from Stephen King or whatever, sure, I can dream up this amazing landscape and this amazing world of what's going on and all that. But it always, 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 always bothered me that whatever I come up with, that's not the author's vision. So going all the way back into the 70s of reading things, I'm like, but I feel like I'm reading this wrong. Because I've read all the Star Wars books. Now, I'm not the very first one because the first book uh, came out after the movie. You know, there wasn't yeah, a book were, before the movie. Yeah. The movie exploded and everything else, and then the book came out. But I read Empire Strikes Back, and you know, and I read all the books before the movies, before the movies came out. Uh, I always felt like I was doing an injustice because it's not. And then you know, I go see the film like Empire Strikes Back, and then I'm disappointed. It's like that, that's not what I thought was going to happen. Well, like, that's that's right. not what I came up right. with. I was a little pissed off, you know. Like, it's always the pitfall of you know. Anytime reading, reading books before you see movies, because right. everybody always says, oh, like, well, "What happened to this character?" Uh, well, that fell on the film floor because you know it, we had to cut out time so that character got right. axed. Yeah. And it's like, "What?" Well, but I like that, you know. And and like what some of the the new characters what they look like is not at all what I envisioned these characters to look like. So I got really annoyed by that. And and at the same time, like like I said, I felt like I was doing the authors a big injustice for me reading their material and coming up with something completely different than what they were really trying to get across. Um, you know, this is kind of reminding me of is, is I'm going through on Audible, uh, Ready Player One. Oh, yeah. Have you read the book or seen the movie? Neither. On either no. One. So <laughs> I can't help but think of you when I think of the character Halliday, uh, because he's an 80s guy. So I'm interested because people have said, because I'm listening to it and I'm hearing things, you know, because I, people have said that it, the movie is different because they just, the plots, like it's still the main plot, but they just change some things. Mm-hmm. So I'm listening along and I'm, I'm, I'm hearing certain parts of it. And I'm like, yeah, I probably would have changed that. Like, that's something that I would change because it doesn't really translate. Like, that's not cinematic. Like there's just right. conversations that are happening that are in no way cinematic. Yeah. That, so you How have you to film change this that. without it being completely right. boring. And, yeah. and you told me the same thing with uh, the Martian where there's like this big chunk of the book that you really like about how he builds this uh, Rover. Yeah. And gets it going. That part you really, that just gets cut out of the movie because the whole thing got cut out. Yeah. Because how are you, because it's just not that, I guess it just wasn't interesting enough to show. It would be, it would be I mean, they could spend an hour filming that. Right. Because everything in that book, the Martian was, as much as I can possibly put it, true to form. Like when he's talking about what he did to make this thing out of old parts and everything else, that could actually happen. Like that, if you've researched it, you can figure out, oh, that actually can be done. You know, so it's, it's, it's educating you at the same time. Me, you know, people who are like science minded and whatever else, we find that stuff to be incredibly interesting. Sure. Put it on screen and be like, oh my God, is he done yet? Yeah. You know, you'll be, <laughs> You'd have to do a montage. It would have taken. So, yeah, it would have been a montage. <laughs> it would, it would have taken a really montage. long to explain, and then it really wasn't very consequential and to the main. Honestly, story. I don't know if they ever filmed any of that or not. I, I just know that that whole section got cut out. They right. just he didn't have it, and then all of a sudden he had it, and it was kind of uh, known that he just put some parts together, and right, and it was good. You know, and they didn't get into the details of it, which I found fascinating. I'm sure other people did too. But you're right; it's not cinema, uh, cinematic. You, you, you got to draw the line somewhere. You, and 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 the same thing the is I'm kind of hearing in Ready Player One, like so much of of the they're giving a lot of information on like how video games work. Mm-hmm. 
and you know may or may not be necessary for something like you may that know video games, but um, you know it's kind of made for people that I guess don't understand to kind of set you up for it. But none of I'm like listening to like the first four or five chapters. I'm like none of this is translating to a movie. This would be about ten seconds mm-hmm. on a movie screen because it's just talking about how the stacks work and how uh-huh. you know this works and how the Oasis works, which is the the world that they're working in. Um, so I you know I've never adapted a book into a movie so i'm just i like listening to it to just figure out well here's how i would do that Mm -hmm. in movie form to make it uh to make it more interesting Mm -hmm. um plus as i said before with mad magazine and cracked and all the comic books and stuff i read i was a very visual kid um whereas you know my dad would subscribe to magazines like time and newsweek and whatever my sister had her magazines i the only thing i had subscription to was the comic books and I read catalogs. <laughs> a new kind of new JC Penny or Sears catalog would come in, and I'm like, oh my god! And I flip through these things, and it's there's no storyline. It's a catalog, dude. But I loved it you just get because I, all the pictures of whatever, and I've been going through all you know after one page of of uh, dining room sets. Yeah, you're like, okay, I've seen them all. Get to the toys. So I get to the toys and that's when I'm like, oh, I want that one. Oh, I want that one. Wait a minute, that's how much is this? Thing? And I'd look at all these things and that's what I was into. Uh, as I got a little bit older, then I realized that, you know, there's a thing called picture books. And I don't mean uh, Cat in the Hat. Yeah, okay, we've all read that. I mean like, um, like history, I actually have this book, The History of the United States Air Force. You know, it's, it's like two feet high and about a, foot wide and the thing has got to be three or four inches deep because it's 95 percent pictures and five percent script like little captions yeah things. captions and, and so i'm just going through these pages i have every photograph memory m- memorized i have every caption memorized i know more about these planes or tanks or just whatever i'm reading about than other people to, to like a weird you know like, oh, what kind of engine was in that plane? Oh, well, that was a Merlin, you know, 65C. I was like, why would you know that? I don't know. Because I was a kid and I loved looking at pictures. And there's a picture of an engine that said, this is a Merlin 35C. I said, oh, okay. That's how I memorize this stuff. But didn't set out to do it. It's just that's what I like. So getting back to the film thing, I'm a very visual person. So in seeing movies and film, it, it's, it spurred my imagination. So that when I go out as a kid and I'm playing with my friends out in the woods and whatever, and we're doing, you know, with our cap guns and all that other stuff and recreating the movies that we're watching, we're trying to be as real as we possibly can. When there's a supposed explosion, we would throw ourselves over the log and we would roll and whatever. And we always got hurt and banged up and bruised and cut and stuff. But that didn't matter because that's what we saw on the screen. I always wanted to bring that kind of stuff alive. Like, wouldn't it be cool if we created our own movies, if we did this or we did that? We were creating these scenarios, and sometimes we would stop and go, you know, this, this is really getting kind of stupid. Let's go in this direction. We're like, oh, okay. And then we'd start something kind of over again and get in a different direction. I love that, that visual aspect. So I've always wanted to get into film, but I never really knew how. I never sought it out. Uh, I went to art school, but not film. It was actually the one thing in our art school that we really didn't have, that there was no focus on. Photography, yes, but film, no, not so much, not in the 80s. Uh, so I, I carried on with the career in art, but I never really gave much filmmaking a thought. 
until um, I started, for whatever reason, I uh, wanted to start writing uh, screenplays, uh, some scripts and things. So I started taking courses on that, and that really opened my eyes. Uh, my instructor and I became really good friends, so I actually worked on some production with him for uh, commercials and doing read-throughs and just all, you know, all kinds of different things with him. Uh, but it wasn't until I met Andrew Bailey at work, because we worked pod. together at the same time, <laughs> friend of the podcast, uh, and I asked him, and so, hey, what are you going to school for? And he said, film. And I was like, no kidding. Like, I have written scripts, and I've done this. We spent the entire summer doing nothing but talking about movies. And he said to me, boy, you need to meet my friend Scott Lentz, because we actually have done some stuff together. And I was like, really? And he's like, yeah, you know, in fact, this project is coming up that we're going to do. And I was like, oh, can I help? And he said, yeah, absolutely. And then there you go. And the rest of the course is history. Yeah, so that was, that was your first for, foray to actually... Actual film. Movie. I didn't know that. Yeah. I thought you yeah. had, you'd work some other. That's cool. Well, no, like I said, I, I've been on set. I've been, I guess what you'd call PA. I didn't even know it at the time. Okay. Uh, I've done table reads with actors and everything else. I didn't know what I was doing. I'm very good at pretending to do stuff. Uh, I, I throw myself right into anything because I'm very quick at... Fake it till you make it. Faking it. I'm very quick at faking it. Like Somebody's like, well, you know how to... Fly a helicopter? I'm like, yeah, of course I do. <laughs> Don't be, fake yeah. that. Don't <laughs> fake flying a helicopter. I will, I will figure this out, you know. And I, I, I watch what other people do, and I, I do what they do, and I, I figure things out. Sure. So being a PA on a couple different shoots, like I said, most of them were just like commercials and stuff. But I've done some other stuff with uh, um, uh, what do you call it, like corporate video and promotional things, yeah, or whatever. Yeah. I did some of that stuff with Keith as well, and. Uh, so I had a little bit of experience in it. And, of course, special features. Getting we on By the time the DVDs came out, of course, I'm looking at special features. I'm yeah. looking at the behind-the-scenes things of and thinking that looks like organized chaos. At the same time, look at those people go. Everybody's got a job. Everybody knows what they're doing. And they just go to it. And they, and they do it. And somehow it all comes together. And when you think about it, a remarkably short period of time. When you step it off, you know, okay, three months for writing, three months for production, three months for post-production. Within a year, these people are making blockbuster films. Like, as a kid, I'm thinking that probably took 10 years to make. Mm -hmm. Nope, we pretty much did it in a couple months. You know, that blows me away. And then when you and I and Andrew started making films, to me, it's like, what do you mean we're going to make a short film in one and a half days? Like, that didn't seem right to me when Andrew said, yeah, we're just going to shoot Saturday and Sunday, and that'll be it. What do you mean that's it? You, you need, like, months to make a film. And it's like, no, that's pretty much going to be it. And we did. They, I mean, were, they were heavy days. They were, yeah, oh, they were absolutely. But, uh, I don't know, I, you know me, I'm not, I, I love to work. Like, sure. the, the more chaotic and the more under pressure we are for timing and stuff, the more I kick into another gear and... You know, I'm always the guys like, well, we're burning daylight. Come on, we're getting back on track. It's like, oh, that's yeah, we can get, we can yeah. get off uh, off target. Yes, <laughs> on sets, uh, yes. very easily. Yes. So, do you feel like uh, uh, just to wrap it up? Do you feel like it, now that you've gone into making some films, um, do you feel like that's changed how you look at movies now? Absolutely. Like, you know how how you think? 100%. Okay, I, I kind of know now maybe how they did that. You know, uh, I, I in in landscaping, it's my 
day job. That's what I've done for almost 30 years. And it's cool. It's it's fantastic job and I love it. It's great skills, great arts, great everything. But at the same time, I can't go anywhere and enjoy landscape anymore. As beautiful uh, botanical gardens are, you know, I walk in there and all I see is work. I see <laughs> things that are out of place. Like I wouldn't have done that. I would have moved the bench this way or I wouldn't have planted that plant there or I would have pruned this differently or why is that tree not correctly pruned? Like all I see is work. It's really, really difficult to see the beauty of nature. I have to go to, um, uh, you know, uh, out in the woods, out at Lancaster County Park or something like something that is 100% nature. The only thing that man has involved in it is that they built a trail through it. Otherwise, there's all these fallen logs and everything else. Things that nobody really did. It's just nature. Now I can finally relax and enjoy. Why? Because, oh, yeah, there's a lot of work to be done, but it's nature. It's supposed to look like that. Chaos theory. It's chaos theory. Yeah. That that chaos that is nature. There's nothing I can. Nature always wins. There's nothing I can do about it, except sit here and enjoy it. And I love that. But anything else, no. So with film now, I see productions, and yeah, I am looking for things. And I don't mean like, oh, I saw the cameraman and the reflection, or the boom mic kind of came into shot. No, that's not what I'm talking about. That happens, it's a mistake, and I, actually, I don't really care about those things. I look pr at production value as in to say, I would have shot that scene differently. Or the lighting, uh, not real hip on that lighting, like I think it would have been better if they had done this or that. Is it ruining movies for me? Absolutely not, because number one, I'm not at that level, I'm not a master filmmaker by any stretch. So it's not ruining films for me. But I, I do like the fact that I can see something and I can say, Scott and I would have done that differently. Same exact everything, a little bit different. And you know what? It would have been a lot better. It would have been a lot better. So, yeah, I'm, having the experience now, I, I can I, I see things under a different light. Um, I also think, I know that filmmaking is not easy at all. It's not. It's yeah. a lot going on. Yeah. It's a lot of people. If you don't believe me, watch the film credits roll sometime, and you'll be like, okay, I'm bored. I'm out of here. It's a lot of people involved in film. But... Now knowing what goes into it, I actually think it's a lot easier than I did back when I was a kid. I thought that that was like, there's no way somebody can do that. Like you would have to be the be all end all of somebody in order to make a film. That, that's just, that's out of my realm. It's out of my touch. There's no way I could do something like that. Now I realize, yeah, pretty much anybody can do that. Does it require some skill and stuff? Well, only if you Absolutely. want people to like it. But now you can appreciate Yes. Be like, now knowing what goes into it, how Big hard time. it is, now I can appreciate when you see something that mm -hmm. you like, now you, you can appreciate it that much more. Because somebody told me when I first got into it that as soon as you start getting into making movies, it's going to ruin movies for you. Right. And that, and I, I had no idea what the validity of that statement was at the time, but it's always kind of stuck with me and be like, I can't, if I ever feel like I'm getting to that level, then I got to get out. Yeah. Because I love movies. Uh, First true. and yeah. foremost, right. you know, I love making movies, but I love watching movies more the last thing and you want to do is ruin something yeah. that got you into the picture. and that that status quo has mm -hmm. to stay there because if i ever you know stop so liking watching movies and can't appreciate movies because i feel like oh, i would have done that differently or, mm -hmm. or, or that then it's time for me to get out um but at the same time like that as i can appreciate knowing what's going into it that yeah. 
that's an accomplishment and that's and it becomes inspiring at that point well you know you you and i and all the things we've done together and with andrew and stuff everything um tends to be more on the drama side we like dramatic movies we feel that storyline is above everything else you know you don't need special effects to have a great film um it helps to have good actors but you can still hire okay people as long as the story is there as long as the writing is is really good that's what's pushing the whole thing forward so somebody is watching the film and they might say oh, that's not the you know most fantastic actor i've ever seen but i can't wait to see what they do next you know or what they're going to say next because the writing is really good and doing dramas that's what we focus on is the emotions of people and and the storyline and so on and so forth when i'm watching films i always go for action always action and sci-fi and that people shooting at each other and blowing things up and whatever and yet i honestly don't really have uh, a desire to make those films that's my enjoyment that's something that when i saw mad max and or i'm sorry fury road and you said to me what did you think the first thing i said to you was film of the year and you were like, ha, ah, okay. And I was like, no, I'm telling you right now. And that came out in like January or February. Yeah. I was like, I'm telling you right now. It's not Oscar bait. That yeah. that will be director of the year, film of the year. Like they're gonna they're gonna nail it. And you're you were eh, I'm not so sure. And why wouldn't you? It's a well, freaking not, road yeah, I mean, movie. Not, like not for that it was bad, but just because that's not the kind that's of stuff not that wins. Oscar material yeah. exactly. And yet, what was so funny is that almost a year later they get. Seven, eight, nine nominations for all this stuff. Tons of technical awards, yeah. Uh huh. Like, Holy crap! And they did. They won a really bunch of awards, and they and were nominated for film of the year, best movie of the year. Yeah. Like, that's a pretty amazing. You know, I I was amazed about that too. Again, yeah. not because it was I didn't think it was worthy, but just because that's not you know the king's speech is what gets nominated. And, that's right. Yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, we shape. We don't go to see an Avengers movie because we think that's going to be no, the film no, of the year. We go and see it because we know we're going to be entertained. How many of these comic book movies have gotten acting Oscars? I think one. You know, Heath Ledger got a right. posthumous award. That was posthumous. That yep. and and that, but that's it. Like nobody ever is really getting. You know, right. it's, it's it's movies that you don't see a lot because right. partially because they're getting released. You know two months before award season right. starts. So you don't have a lot of time, but yeah. that's great. Well, thanks for being here. Uh, yeah, absolutely. We're going to right. see a lot of you coming on this pod. Yeah. Uh, we're gonna, uh, we're gonna, I, 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 this is kind of like a, an intro thing and whatever else, but I look forward to got it. This is Doug's origin story. So this was my origin. This is your origin pod. story. This is, this yes. is Doug one part one. So we're going to have, Oh, uh, never name a movie. Part one. Yeah. <laughs> This is the, uh, this a, is the beginning of the Doug's This is franchise. History of the World Part 1. Can't wait for History of the World Part 2. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yep. All right. Podcast over. You have not heard the last from Doug, so be sure to look for him in future episodes. We didn't talk about it on this episode, but Doug was my main producer for Acoustic Hearts, which is available on Amazon Prime. The next time I have him on, we'll have to tell you the story of our location scouting for that production and how it changed the direction of the entire film. I think what Doug personifies most, and why I keep him around, is that he is first and foremost a genuine fan of movies of all kinds. His voice on set is really important to me because he keeps me grounded, and will always give it to me straight about what he thinks as a member of the audience as well as an artist. If you're lucky enough to have someone like Doug on your team, your films will be better for it. 
As a filmmaker, it's important to remember the whole reason you started making movies is because you first had to love movies. I said it during the conversation and I'll say it again. If at any point you find yourself unable to enjoy movies as you once did, it's time to take a deep breath and step back to remind yourself of why you're doing this. We recorded this episode right before Avengers Infinity War came out, so neither of us had seen it yet. I have since seen it, and I have felt so compelled by it to dedicate a mini-sode to it, so look for that coming up as soon as I can gather my emotions. I hope this episode reminded you of what film inspired you to make movies, and I would love to hear what those movies are via Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Just look for us at Special Features Podcast. Be sure to leave a rating and review on whatever platform you're listening on, and go watch a movie. And in case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night.